Welcome to the second season of Reset the Table. Russia's war in Ukraine affects agricultural markets and threatens food security for millions around the world. The UN Food System Summit is behind us, and COP27 and the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health are upon us. Join us as we examine solutions to food insecurity challenges around the world and right here at home. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm pleased to host two guests to discuss the role of food technology in addressing food insecurity and challenges facing today's food systems. Joining us from San Francisco is Hans Tung, managing partner of GGB Capital. And joining us from Bogota, Colombia, is Fabian Gomez Gutierrez, founder and CEO of Frubana. Hans and Fabian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Caitlin, for having us. Thank you for the invitation, Caitlin and Hans. Thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have both of you with us. Hans, I'll start with you. CSIS, as you know, is a national security think tank. So for our policy-minded audience, can you give us a quick introduction to GGV? Sure, I'll be happy to, Galen. GGV Capital is a global venture capital firm. We invest in startup technology companies around the world. And right now we have about 400 active companies in our portfolio, and we manage a bit over $9 billion uh, for asset under management. Thanks so much. And I, I know that GGV has invested in food tech for some time and prioritizes food tech within your portfolio. Can you give for our audience a quick definition of what you consider food tech to be? Sure. As you know, we have been one of the more successful firms around the world, and we really focus on investing in amazing founders who can make an impossible happen. And they usually want to solve big, big, big problems with the leverage technology to provide interesting ways to become more efficient, to solve the problem at a completely different angle. And the reason why food tech is interesting is that back in 2014-15, we had this uh, insight that there will be 10 billion people on the planet by 2050, and the demand for food is going to increase by over 70% in the next three decades. And that's a huge, huge problem that needs to be solved. And over the last two and a half years, as we see what's happening, the impact of COVID around the world, there's a lot of food supply chain disruption. And also there were places where food, there was a wastage because food couldn't be distributed efficiently to other places and got stuck. So having more localized food supply, having more vertical integration, having ways to use technology to be able to produce food in a more efficient manner, in a cost-effective manner, all of that means that it's another big sort of big problem to be solved. And so we were looking at how to solve these two big problems with founders who have innovative business model or technologies to do that efficiently. Okay, great. Thank you, Hans. Looking at the amount of funding that's going into food tech from venture capital, it's a lot of money. In the first quarter of 2022, venture capital funding reached $6.9 billion across 359 deals. Looking at the second quarter of 2022, venture capital funding reached $5.6 billion across 275 deals. That's a lot of deals, a lot of money, just for comparison. So that's $12.5 billion. In June, G7 governments, which are representing the the world's wealthiest industrialized democracies, committed to $4.5 billion, which added to what the G7 had already committed. That's a total of $14 billion that the G7 committed to addressing food insecurity this year. Again, comparing that to what venture capital had invested just in the first two quarters of this year was $12.5 billion. So a lot of money going into this sector from venture capital firms. That's correct. We're financial investors and we have fiduciary duty, pension funds, endowments who give us the money to manage. And so they have their constituents to answer to as well. So we try to look opportunities where the potential problem is big, 
the addressable market is massive. And if, if the funders that we back make it work, there will be outsized return for them, but at the same time, solve a real world problem. And like you correctly point out, food tech is such a big issue now. You see a lot of capital from the VCP side, as well as from uh, government so social impact investing to try to make that work. Okay. Well, I think it's a perfect opportunity to turn it to one of the firms that GGV has selected to invest in, Frubana. So we have with us again, Fabian Gomez-Gutierrez, CEO of Frubana. Fabian, welcome and thank you again for joining us from Bogota. Hello, Caitlin. It's speaking with you and doing a little bit of research. I know that you come from a background in farming. Can you give us a little bit of information about your background, both in farming and, and in technology generally, and how those things led you to create the model that um, that Frubana embodies? Sure, Caitlin. So like a bit of a background myself, I had like three big experiences before Frubana. The first one was working with my family. My father uh, is in farming with limes. A papayas and mangoes. So basically, I grew up understanding those early steps of the food supply chain. Then I did some tiny consulting around Latin America with McKinsey. We served a lot of food industries and, and got to discover like how to optimize big industries with them. And third, I joined Rappi. Rappi is like the DoorDash plus Instacart of Latin America. So got to see in two or three years the fast pace of growth that we could do using technology to streamline the supply chain. So that's a bit of my story and joining the dots of those three stories, Frubana is born. So Frubana is born of seeing my father plant and sell limes at 30 cents, 40 cents of a dollar per kilo. And at the same time, seeing the Rappi restaurants buying those same limes at 80 cents or a dollar per kilo. So the big gap that there was between the price paid in the farm and the price paid by restaurants made me think on how to optimize that supply chain. It seems like, again, like you're inspired by your family's experience where you saw the price that your father's farm was selling limes for versus the price that restaurants were purchasing them for. Huge discrepancy there. And you saw an opportunity to reduce the middle folks and I'm assuming make it such that the farmers would get higher income for their products and restaurants would ultimately pay less for what they're purchasing. That is correct. We want food to be cheaper in Latin America via optimizing the food supply chain and not via paying less to farmers. What we saw, food moves in chaos around the region and this chaos makes logistics to be inefficient. It causes a lot of waste, a lot of intermediation. So what we're doing is putting a lot of technology, putting data and making food follow data and not moving food around in chaos. Yeah. Can you give us an example? Let's choose one city that you work with. And for context too, Frubana operates in Brazil, in Mexico, in Colombia. It's in nine cities across these three countries, reaching 87,000 retailers. So it's a massive operation. So it's a, it operates at huge scale. But again, can we choose one city? And can you give us an illustration of how Frubana operates? Sure. So let's take Bogota, where I am today. And let's take a restaurant nearby called Poke. In the old way of doing things, this, this restaurant would basically have 20 different suppliers. Let's say in the, in the section of fresh goods, they would buy walking or, or taking a bus or hiring a car to go to the central markets. You have huge central markets in the big cities of Latam, where basically farmers go and with no information like the intermediaries, farmers would sell their products to middlemen that would sell to other middlemen that would sell in these markets. 
This would cause a lot of inefficient logistics, small trucks running around the country, going back and forth, a lot of waste uh, and a lot of intermediation. And this restaurant would buy there. What are we doing different? When we aggregate our 87,000 restaurants that we are serving today, basically it becomes predictable. And predictability is very, very important in food because food is a product that literally self-destroys in 24, 48, or 72 hours. Once we have this aggregated demand, we can forecast the next 7, 14, 30 days, and our software will speak directly via farmers with what they use today, that is WhatsApp, and it would make all the system work directly. We would skip all the steps of intermediation and bring exactly the amount of food that our number of restaurants need, uh, reducing waste, one, reducing logistics, and reducing intermediation. Okay, thank you. Thanks for that. Um, let's bring it to the restaurant that you mentioned again. So prior to using Furbana, you would have someone for the restaurant getting on a bus, going to the central market, buying produce. Again, a lot of uh, inefficiencies, takes a lot of time. There's potential for food loss and waste, etc. Now using Furbana, how does that restaurant operate? As always, they would finish cooking at 8 or 9 p.m. Where when everyone leaves, they open their cabinet and they know what they're missing. They would go into a wrap, they would order, and they would get next day delivery starting by 8 a.m. So this makes it really convenient for them. They're a small business, so they're also value convenience. So they order, things arrive seamlessly in the morning, they start cooking at noon, and the process repeats a couple of times a week. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. So it seems like a huge time saver. And also you mentioned that one of the benefits is reduced food loss and waste. Can you talk a little bit about how this app helps your companies address that problem? Sure, Caitlin. There are three big buckets of different kinds of waste that happen when food moves in chaos. One, the first big bucket is logistics. The second big bucket is directly food waste. And the third bucket would be double intermediation. So like economic waste. So addressing the first problem, logistics, in food, you would have always inbound logistics and then last mile logistics. It's very interesting when you start exploring what happens in food to know that a banana in Bogota, one third of the price you pay for that banana is gas. Like it's literally gasoline. Like one third is first mile logistics of a product like a banana or a plantain in a city like Bogota. So what happens here is because there's no data, supply and demand doesn't get aggregated, and you would have hundreds of small two or three or five ton trucks that move towards the city from the farming areas. This is super inefficient. So basically, the first reduction we can do at a bigger scale is aggregating all that demand with the location, the georeference data of this, of this farming farms. And we would like aggregate demand and we would like bring in that to the city, saving a lot of emissions and a lot of like mm -hmm. lost kilometers uh, reading. Hmm. Yeah. Then last mile, it's pretty impressive. But when I spoke about the 87,000 restaurants that we have in Frubana, they did more than million orders in the last quarter. And usually they would take like, let's say 10 miles to go to the wet market and come back. So this is 10 million kilometers that they drive around to do their procurement, usually. Using our app, because we deliver in batching with smart routing software that we built, the distance between stops is 1.5 or 2 kilometers, depending on the geography. So of that 10 million kilometers that restaurants would spend driving around to buy their procurement, 
we are saving today 8 million of those kilometers. So super significant savings in miles reading around. And this we can translate into economic gains that we love because we're a company and we're looking for that economies. But it can also be translated in less emissions, less traffic in the cities, more sustainable cities, more sustainable everything. Logistics is one of the huge pieces where we add value. At the scale we are today, the company is growing really, really, really really fast. And we're really happy of being in this 87,000 restaurants. But when we look at the market, it's $100 billion in Latin America in the top 15 or 20 cities. We have achieved only 0.3% of that. So the opportunity to grow is, it's just humongous. it's, It's huge. Yeah. When it comes to transporting the produce to where it's needed, so let's say from farms into restaurants, a rough analogy might be as if each family were driving their own children to school using their own cars. And then what Frubana does instead, it's essentially the bus that says, no, we're wasting a lot of gasoline. We're the yellow bus. (laughs) (laughs) A very intelligent bus. Routing (laughs) algorithm and so forth. A very intelligent bus. sounds like also a much more climate friendly option than uh, than using all the cars. So it seems like you're saving in terms of greenhouse gas emissions, in terms of time. And also ultimate cost is going to be lower because you said that a third of the price of the banana was gasoline. So if we're saving there, then the ultimate cost is going to be lower. Is that right? Absolutely. I love that analogy of the of the school bus i'm thinking of the the yellow american school bus running around <laughs> with <laughs> with our fruits i i love it caitlin but it's it's absolutely <laughs> that or like the two million restaurants in latin america they literally drive an old car to the warehouse an old cab or they carry things around some way like in a very inefficient way And we're just saving that. Okay. It sounds like the technology that you're proposing, as Han said, it's a very smart bus for these products. Sounds like there's a lot of very obvious reasons why restaurants would want to adopt this model, why farms would want to adopt this model and participate here. Um, Clearly, you're evidencing that by the the growth that you've that that you've shown. Um, What what is some resistance that you encounter? What are some reasons that um, that some parties might say, no, the the older model is better for, for X reason? Yeah, I would say, Caitlin, what we find is there are some established relationships that are hard to break. And then in some countries more than others, there's some resistance to technology. Both of this, I would say we were helped a lot by COVID to break them pretty, pretty fast. Before COVID, we had 5,000 restaurants active. Now we have 87,000. And I would say COVID played a big role here in helping us teach restaurants that it's possible to do things with technology. During the COVID times, restaurants learn as consumers to order groceries and food for their houses. So then when they came back from COVID, they were super open to ordering online. So that was one one of the reasons that it's, and it's helping us a lot. There's still some resistance. The old guy, the old lady that has 60, 70 years old, they have a 20, 30 year relationship with their supplier in the web market. That one might be hard to break, but it's happening. And what we're seeing is the new generation that is taking over and that will take over in the next 10, 15, 20 years. It's there. So as we see more people eating out of home, restaurant owners being younger and and more modern and going into delivery apps, etc., we're seeing the adoption being a lot easier. So that's one of the reasons they say no, take adoption and COVID and new technologies and easier ways to, to buy and sell 
are, are helping us there. Great. Thank you, Fabian. We'll hope to come back to you in a few minutes. But thank you for, for giving us this deep dive into this one particular technology. Hans, I'd like to go back to you, zooming out and looking at the food tech sector generally. Food tech, looking at the industry, it includes technology-driven startups, developing products and services that are changing how food is being discovered, purchased, delivered, prepared, and consumed. Great story from Frubana in Latin America. Can you talk about some other examples that you are that you're focusing on? Sure, I'll be happy to. At a, at a high level, when we start first investing in food tech in 2014-2015, there's sort of a three big buckets of areas that we're looking for investments. One is based on existing systems or processes in place. What are ways we can reduce waste and spoilage and so forth? So we made investments in companies like Odeco in New York that work with coffee shops, help them to plan everything they need to either buy or to run a coffee shop, become essentially like an operating system, like a Microsoft inside for them to be able to operate their ordering and reordering process. We also invested in a shelf engine in Seattle that come up with innovative ways using algorithm to predict when the grocery chains should be able to restock themselves. And they have major string chains such as Kroger and Target that have worked with them before on an ongoing basis. It's surprising to know that 50% of the food that the grocery chains get is wasted. It's mind-boggling how much that is. And so we like that the big problem that Shelf Engine is, is, is solving. And then the second bucket of area we make investments are where Probana plays a role is supply chain and last mile delivery. And that's where the bulk of the investments that you pulled earlier from the VCs, about 12.5 billion in first half this year, most of them went to this uh, bucket. There are other investments we made in LATEM, including Joker that provide last mile delivery, as well as previously Grab in Southeast Asia that become a super app from food delivery, ride sharing, and other services that it provides. And then the third bucket is also a popular bucket where BC investment have gone in is on food science. Is the mm-hmm. creation and production of food in the U.S. Obviously, we eat Impossible Burger and Beyond Meat and so forth. We also have investments like that in our portfolio, such as Partner Jenny, that our investments in a company called Tyndall that's doing um, uh, man-made chicken and pork from Southeast Asia and expanding into the U.S. There are plenty of areas where people move money in. The question is, at which stage do the investors come in? As I mentioned, we're a global venture fund. So we start investing at an early stage. And we back uh, Fabian uh, when it was less than 10 people in the company. And so it's just very interesting just to just be part of that journey from very early on and grow with the team over time. And what he has done, and it's impressive, you know, in the first year of his operation, he reached 5,000 uh, restaurants. In the last two and a half years, ends up 87,000. So the growth is just phenomenal. And I wish I can say we pre- predicted that. We didn't. It's really the kudos to the team for them to be able to take advantage of a situation like COVID. You see mm-hmm. restaurants become more open to trading technology. They double down it and then grow on it. And that makes the VC job much more interesting and fun. In my perspective, there's not enough attention to the number of people around the world who can't afford the cheapest form of a healthy diet. So that's over 3.1 billion people around the world. One of the reasons that they can't afford the cheapest form of a healthy diet is because the healthiest foods are foods that perish quickly. They're fruits and vegetables and dairy products and meats and fishes, et cetera. And it seems like what you're doing is to prevent that food from spoiling and make sure that that food gets to restaurants and is accessible and affordable to customers. So it seems like the work that you're doing is helping to address that 
really important aspect of the food insecurity challenge we're facing today. And thanks for noting too, that your customers are often not high-end restaurants, but it's the everyday person in the countries that you're working in, in Mexico, in Brazil, and in Colombia. Fabian came out of uh, Rappi. He was at Rappi for three years. When Rappi first started, is it is more like a DoorDash or Uber, Uber okay. Eats in Latin that's serving mm-hmm. the top 20, 30% of, of the market. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. because of, that's a more immediate problem that can be solved and monetized, ends up recruiting great people to join Rappi. And then mm-hmm. uh, Fabian, Fabian got great training there and see the insights that he saw and discovered that he can do something for the other 90% of the, of the, of the market, but without yeah. the Rappi training and the VC backing that made that possible, Fabian probably wouldn't have had a chance to start Fubana from day one. So <laughs> it, it's, it's, sometimes you have to look at, you know, different, oh, different sure. pieces. and it, yeah. it, 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 if you're a, the founder and VC like us who want to solve bigger problems and solve mm-hmm. hopefully uh, more people, this is a great way to have a, you know, happen in phase two and phase three. Yeah. Well, Hans, that's a, a great segue to my last question. Again, you've been investing in food tech for about eight years, and you've seen the sector evolve a lot in the past eight years. I'd like to look eight, eight years ahead. So from between now and, tw- and 2030. So based on the evolutions that you have seen, what predictions can you make for the way that we'll be producing, distributing, dealing with food around the world? What, what, what predictions do you have for us? You know, my uh, other portfolio about refarming quite well. And so mm-hmm. on one one um, on one end, we would definitely see more automation, more intelligent hardware and software to solve the food production issue and make that more localized and make more replicable. It's sometimes even in the indoor. And so you're not, uh, even with the climate change, you have better chance of growing your the, the food more predictably and more sustainably. On one end, a lot more automation uh, happened, not more intelligence, and that's a barrel farming on one end. The other sort of extreme would be more companies like Fubana, where over time they can help empower the bottom 90% or middle 50% of the market to be, uh, for them to have more tools, have more uh, data to be able to plan their business better and become better at serving the mass market. So on both ends, you see more a lot more intelligence. One is more localized and it's mm-hmm. a lot more automation related. The other one is going to be more distributed and sharing more intelligence and data to more small, medium businesses around the world so that they can be better serving their mass market. I think both are good examples mm-hmm. of how taking technology and interesting business model, you can figure out ways to make more sustainable impact over a longer period of time. Thank you. Thanks, Hans. Fabian? Yeah. Adding here to what Hans is saying, I'm going to speak about how we see Furbana evolve in the next eight years. So we have been around for four. Let's speak about the next four or eight. We started our core business, which is the everything store for restaurants in Latin America. And we have been growing to 80 something thousand today, probably a couple hundred thousand in the next two years. Now we're thinking on, on what are the next steps. Hans helped us here in, in our board uh, to think around this. And it's how to make fintech products and pure software products that really help put everything together. So for example, and this was with the help of Hans, we started Frubana Capital recently. So now we're lending money for a short period of time for three to seven days to our restaurants so they can procure better and have a better cash flow. So this is one one big example. It's already out, only 2,000 of the 80,000 restaurants, but but it's really promising results. And then another example is like, think of all these restaurants, like really offline restaurants. They do everything in paper, pen and paper. And this causes them to not be really good at forecasting. 
we will have a very better view of how much they sell and we can help them forecast better. Food waste, today we're reducing a lot of food waste that happens from the door of the farm to the door of the restaurant, but probably half of the waste happens within the restaurant. So our next step would be to create some software that we're already thinking about, not working on yet, but to help the restaurant know what they have in inventory, know what they have to buy. We will be better to predict what they need to buy than them. Our ultimate feature would be that the restaurant does not have to order. So basically, we automatically order for them with very advanced technology that is not in the hand of individual restaurants. We can predict what they need and literally save the world hectares of land to be harvested for the other people. Like we don't have to serve exactly the groups of people that, that we have to cause a, a good impact in. If we save half of the food that restaurants waste today that happens in store, this causes like immediately food to become cheaper, land to become more accessible, water not to be wasted, and transportation not to happen for food that is going to rot them. So like it's the the like it's it's a massive opportunity that we can do we know we have to go step by step but i just like dream on that that we're in year four and this is just starting i dream in what we can do in year eight in year 12 in year 20. it's gonna be it's gonna be just amazing like to have all this automation knowing farms and knowing a restaurant because of Rappi and my, and my work now, knowing farms because of my father, there's a lot of money invested in how to produce 10% more in crops, 20% more in crops. I respect all those investments, but I think the money's not there. The money's in how to, not to waste 30 or 20%. It makes it more efficient in the inbound. And then if we manage to get in the kitchen, then everything cuts by half the, the, the cost because it's at the end, the output is a hamburger. It's a salad. The inputs will go by half and all of the cost goes by half if we help restaurants to do better. Independently, they won't be able to do it. We want to be that unique platform for the 2 million restaurants in Latam to do their procurement, to lend, to borrow money from us so they don't have to buy the little oil, bottle of oil so they buy the dozen and it's cheaper. And... Why are you smiling, Hans? You, you, you can tell, but the reason I'm smiling is because when Caitlin was asking that question, what, what does Fubana do? The first thing you said is that the restaurants at 9 p.m. at night, open the refrigerator, know what they need to order, and start placing the order on your app. When you said that, I, I, I immediately thought of, well, they don't always know what they're going to order when they open the, 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 the refrigerator. You have an operating system that help them to know what they have, the inventory account, and then predict what they need based on all the past times they have order with you over the years, they can actually make very intelligent decisions um, with data backed by years and years of reordering to know what to place for the next day. And that, that's the, yeah. the, the sort of distributed intelligence, Kaylin, I was telling you about earlier, that if, when that happens, it becomes the whole system becomes extremely intelligent. So like mm -hmm. the, the, the bus uh, analogy you have, over time, the smart bus should know all the population <laughs> statistics in all mm. the cities. And then figure out the best way to predict when to order the right bus for the right city and what routes to do. And that's mm -hmm, the what, yeah. that's what's so powerful about data and the technology if you can use that well. And you see similarities of what Fubana is trying to do in Latin and what Adeco is trying to do in New York with coffee shops and what Shelf Engine tried to do in Seattle with uh, grocery chains. A lot of know-how are related, even though not exactly the same. And this mm -hmm. is why SBC, we 
get the companies together, share thoughts, exchange notes, sometimes in, even invest in each other's companies to facilitate knowledge sharing so that over time, we can build this kind of intelligent network that we all hope can make the world better. I, I got excited, excited with that, what Hans is saying because I'm going to share a story of my parents on the line more chart. My parents, they're very smart. They're not taking it. Like, they don't know nothing about it, <laughs> but they're very smart. So my father and my mother, when we were starting the, the line business, basically, they would literally drive around the city to five or seven restaurants. And my mom would see the balconies of the restaurants. And if they were full, she knew next day she would have a lot of orders of limes, like, like super basic. But it's the same concept, just that we have 200 engineers in Argentina working on machine learning and AI models to do it. My mom did it driving around with my dad on Friday night. And they said like, okay, tomorrow's going to be a good day because restaurants are full. There's a soccer game, like restaurants are full tomorrow. So these same concepts, when you apply them on aggregate to 200, 300, half a million restaurants that we're going to have in the next five years, the value that they can add not only to the company and the shareholders like Hans and me, it's not only that, it's, it's the value to the world that we can add by consuming less to feed the same amount of people. It can literally make food cheaper and not by paying less to the farmers like my father. I would be sad if I create something that puts all the weight in them. It's putting the weight in waste. Putting the weight in taking out logistics, putting the weight in taking all out that intermediation. So that's that's really what we want to build. Well, very exciting potential, very exciting predictions. Let's not wait eight years to check in. So I do hope to check in with both of you sooner than that. And thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing to make healthy food more affordable, to reduce waste, to reduce emissions, all, all of the positive benefits. And thank you both for joining us today from San Francisco and Bogota. Thank you, Kaylin, for having us. That was fun. Thank you, Kaylin, for the invitation. See you. That's it for today's episode of Reset the Table. You can subscribe on Apple or Spotify and follow us on Twitter at CSIS Food. Until next time.